All right, Salt Company, how are we doing tonight? You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Salt Company, good to be with you guys. My name is Colin. Uh, I have the privilege of working here at Salt Company. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time since I've been up here. It's good to be back. It's good to see you guys again. Uh, come on. Uh, guys, how awesome is this graphic? I mean, seriously, so cool. So cool. Here's why, here's why I direct your attention to that, is one to say Isaac Stacy and Jack Dagoberg are super talented. Uh, but, but also to, to point your attention that we're starting a new sermon series tonight. Uh, that I'm really stoked about called Missionary God. And so I, I just want to, first week in the series, I want to give you guys, uh, it's a short series, two weeks, but the goal of the series is to try our best to encapsulate God's heart for you, God's heart for this city, God's heart, heart for the world, and the little part that you can play in that. Uh, and, and the second thing we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to reshape how you think about missions, reshape how you think about missions. And so tonight, uh, we're, we're going to be in kind of two different texts to do that, but tonight we're going to be in Acts 9. And so if you have a Bible, uh, it, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Uh, so we're, we're going to be in Acts 9 tonight. Um, got, a, got a question for you guys as you turn there. Have you guys ever played, uh, maybe when you were like in high school, human capture the flag or hostage? Yes, okay, so uh, most of you seem to know the premise of the game. If you don't, I'll give it to you. Uh, you get kidnapped by your friends, don't be ridiculous, uh, and they drop you off in a random place. You can't use your maps. You call your other set of friends. They, like, try to find out where you are, drive, come get you. First team back at home base wins. Uh, so I, I played this a couple times in high school. It's a terrible idea, guys. It's just like, it's a game that signs you up to get pulled over by the cops. Um, I have a couple examples of that. First one, uh, we'd played before, and so I'm running. Like, it's my job to be the runner guy that, like, calls, tries to figure out where he is, explains where he is to the person driving. And we're like, let's make it challenging. Let's say you can drive for, I can't remember what it was. Like, it was like 15 minutes. Guys, I was dropped off in a place I had, I had actually no idea where I was. I had to run a mile. I looked at it on my phone. I ran a mile until I got a street that I was actually familiar with. And it took another, like, 15 minutes for the car to get me. It was actually pretty brutal. Uh, second story, um, so I, I took a break because I ran a mile. Um, and so I was now in the passenger seat of the driving car uh, on my team. And the car behind us thought they'd be clever and just follow us the whole way and basically get into a drive-off, which it is, a, is a terrible idea. I was in high school, guys. It's okay. But we were, it was the fastest I've ever ridden in a car before. Um, the person that was driving was just like, you know those people in high school that just aren't the brightest bulbs on the tree? This was him. Uh, we were going well, like well over the speed limit. And we dropped the person off, and we dropped them off right at a roundabout. This is a true story. And we turned the roundabout, and then I kid you not, we had just come around the other side of the roundabout, 
and a police car, sirens on, going, kid you not, 120 miles an hour, went through the roundabout and, like, caught air off the roundabout. And we, like, really slowly kept driving back the other way because they were for sure coming for us. Um, it was one of the scarier moments of my life. I'm really thankful I wasn't driving. Don't recommend it. You'll get pulled over by the cops. Here's the premise of the game, though. Here's the premise of the game. Premise of the game, human capture the flag or hostage, is to get dropped off on a road where the person that's dropped off is lost. Premise of the game, get dropped off on a road where the person that's dropped off is lost and doesn't know where they are. They have to find out where they are. They, have, they need to use like road signs. They can't use their phone. And they need to figure out where they are. And tonight, we're going to look at a story about a man who's not playing hostage, but is on a road. And on that road is where he realizes he's lost. But then what we're going to see tonight is that on one road, a man in Acts 9 goes from being lost to being a laborer. For goes from being lost to being a laborer. And so if you're, if you're going to follow along, we're going to start in Acts 9, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So right away we meet the character Saul. And Saul is on a mission. He, he's on an, an important assignment. He's carrying out an important assignment. That's what it means to be on mission. So when you talk about mission throughout tonight in this series, that's what it means. Carrying out an important assignment. But Saul's not on the mission that we a lot of times think. You see, this is what's happening. Let me color in a little bit of the context here. Is that Five years prior to this, Jesus resurrected from the grave and said to his disciples, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this isn't what the message is about, but if you're looking for a primary defense of why the Christian faith is valid, it's because the movement actually started in Jerusalem, where Jesus died, where he rose from the grave. And so if the movement was to die, they would have just gone to the tomb and been like, yo, Jesus is right here. But the movement actually started in Jerusalem. And just like Jesus had said to his friends, to his disciples, the movement started to go out of Jerusalem into the region of Judea. And then the, the movement of the gospel continued to the, to the region just north of Judea called Samaria. So, Christians were, were like being converted, and, and in, in uh, Acts 9, we see this called the way. They weren't called Christians at the time. They were called people belonging to the way, this new way of living, this new way of believing. So this way of believing has spread into a really influential city, a port city, a city where knowledge and goods are transferred from place to place, and that city is called Damascus. And this makes Saul really mad. Because Saul actually hates people of the way. He hates the Christian movement so much so that he kills people for it. So this isn't actually the first time we meet Saul in the Bible. If you want to find the first time we meet him, you flip back two chapters where you meet him approving the death of Stephen. And Stephen is killed simply because he has his faith in Jesus. 
So Saul is at work threatening, killing, murdering people that believe in Jesus. He will do anything that he can to kill this movement, to bring it to an end. He, he's like bringing about military action against people that claim the name of Jesus. He's willing to go on a 10-day journey from Jerusalem to Damascus in order to threaten, kill, and bring back as prisoners back to Jerusalem people that have put their faith in Jesus. This man is committed to seeing the movement of the gospel die. It's hard to, to illustrate like just how evil and how much of an opponent Saul is to the movement of the gospel. And so the, the best way I could think about it is he is Thanos to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, like he is all things evil, working behind the scenes, working in front. Like he is bringing about evil to these people. He is the one you fear. He's not the one you want to walk by on the street. He knows who you are. He's searching you out. He's trying to kill you. Another way to put it is to the Christian, Saul is, is like if you're, a, if you're a Ukrainian young boy or girl, Saul is a Russian military official. Like, when you walk past Saul, fear chills you to the bone. This is who he is. He's evil, a murderer. He is clearly lost. He's far from God. It's obvious that Saul is far from God because we can all agree, or at least I hope everyone in this room can agree, that murder is wrong. Right? Like murder is an outrageous evil against people. And so Saul, a murderer, is clearly lost. And yet, not everyone in his day would have said that. Because he's not just outrageously evil, Saul's also a religious zealot. Meaning he's passionate about his Jewish rituals. He's passionate about being someone who's religious Yes, it's true that he was evil to the people of the way, but to the people, to the Jewish people, Saul is commissioned to go out on behalf of them, to capture these Christians and bring them back, bound or killed. Like, let me, let me show this to you. Look back at verse 1. This is what it says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Like, Saul, look who he asked for permission. He asks the high priest. He goes to the highest ranking religious and political figure of the Jewish community and asks him for permission to bring people back bound. It's like the, the best modern-day illustration of this would be like going to the pope to ask Pope, the Pope for permission. He's both a, a political and a religious figure, and he's not just someone you can walk into his room and ask for permission for things. Like, man, this guy is hard to get to, which means Saul has access to the highest religious and political offices. 
like Saul's not just an ordinary guy trying to do an ordinary thing and happens to ask the high priest. No, the high priest is a man that's hard to get to, which means Saul is not an ordinary man. He's a man of extraordinary power, a man of extraordinary influence, and people at that day would have said he is a man of extraordinary godliness. Man, Saul is a picture of what it looks like to follow God. Saul is a picture of what it looks like to live a life that matters. And yet to us, Saul is completely off the rails, morally corrupt and evil. And yet to them, he's, he's a picture of what it looks like to be righteous. And so I want to stop and make a quick aside which is that in the person of Saul, in this character, in the story, yes, he's a murderer, but he also goes to see the high priest. And so we actually see that in Saul, there are two ways to be lost. There are two ways to be lost. The first way to be lost is obvious. It's to be a rebel. It's to know what you should do and then refuse to do it. It's to know what's morally right and then choose not to do it. It's to be a person that's out for your own agenda, that outs for, that's out for your own pleasure, that's out for what makes you feel good, neglecting what you know you should do, or what you, what you know is right to do, or what you know will actually be best for you. No, no, no. It's neglecting all that to say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. To be a rebel. We all know what it looks like to look at someone and say they're lost because they're a rebel. They know they shouldn't do that and they do it anyways. We also see there's another way to be lost. In Saul, there's actually another way to be lost and the way to be lost is actually by following all the rules. There's a way to be lost where you do everything that looks good on the outside just to find out that you have no passion for the person of Jesus on the inside. There's a way to be a rebel where your actions look righteous, but you have no passion for the things of God. In some ways, Saul, yes, was obviously a rebel doing horrific things on the outside. But he didn't think he was horrific. He thought he was righteous. Like, let me, let me get this in modern language. If Saul was a college student in Minneapolis today, he probably would have said something like, yeah, yeah, I grew up going to church, and you'd find him here at Salt Company on a Thursday night. He loved God, or he felt like, or he felt like God loved him because he did a lot of things to earn God's love. He was so set on being seen as godly that he was willing to do hard things for God, right? He was willing to, to kill people for God, and so he was so set on being seen as godly. He was set on this path of being a, a religious leader, a, a model for other people, an expert in all the things of God, so much so that he devoted all his energy to being an expert on the things of God while missing the point that what God actually wanted from him was not what he needed to do, but actually who God himself was. 
God just wanted him. But Saul was trying to offer him a godly life. And I know there are people in the room right now that are that first kind of rebel and the second kind of rebel, where it looks like you're good on the outside, but you're actually being corrupted on the inside, that are working really hard to appear like you love God and maybe even working hard to make salt company love you. So you're doing all the right salt company things to do, all the godly things to do that you're well-versed in the things of God, but you have no passion for the person of God. And I can say that confidently, that there are those people here because I was that person here. Growing up, going to church, coming to Salt Company, I believed the right things. I hid my sin or fought it to the best of my ability. And anything I couldn't fight, I'd keep it behind closed doors or tucked away in the corners of my heart. All while I lived for the approval of other people, the recognition of my accomplishments. I wanted people to be aware of just how hard I worked to have it together on the outside. Like, man, I lived I lived off the approval of other people, of people looking at me and being like, Colin, you're a godly person. You're a good person. You do the right things. You're a moral person. Guys, I lived off that. I would have told you I was a Christian because other people told me I was a Christian. I would be able to tell you many things about Jesus, but I had no desire for relationship with him. It was more important to me that you thought I was a Christian than that I was actually spending time with God. It was more important to me that you thought I was righteous than that I was actually righteous in the sight of God. I was more interested in being a social Christian, the, the type of person that gets the approval of their Christian circle, their Christian friends, than I was of repenting of the things I did when no one was watching. I had it together on the outside, and yet I was corroding on the inside. It, in a lot of ways, it's like, it's like fruit. There are two ways for fruit to rot, right? There's the obvious way. You leave fruit on the sidewalk for long enough, it begins to rot from the outside in. Like brown spots erode there, like rot the whole fruit, right? But there's also a way for fruit to rot where the tree gets like a virus, I don't know, whatever you call tree bugs. I don't know. You, you, there are people here that know what they're called. I don't know. Uh, and, and you'd walk up to the tree, and the fruit would look healthy on the outside. And let's say it's an apple, and you go to pull the apple off the tree, and the apple would pull off too easily. Because, yeah, well, the fruit looked good to eat on the outside. It was rotting on the inside. It looked good on the outside, but it was rotting from the inside out. And that's how we are. Before we meet Jesus, when we do not have the spirit dwelling in us, when we do not have a passion for the person of Jesus, there's one of two things and maybe both things happening to us. We're either external rebels and rotting from the outside in or we're internal rebels where we're lost, wandering, 
and we're trying to keep it together on the outside, but if we're being honest with ourselves, we're rotting from the inside out. And it wasn't until, like Saul in the story, where I had something taken from me, where the thing, the approval I wanted was taken from me that my life changed. Let's see what happens to Saul. This is verse 3. Now he went on his way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he stood without sight and neither ate nor drank. See, here's what Saul's happening in Saul's life. He has a 10-step plan for how to become the person he's always wanted to be. And the road to Damascus is maybe step two or three on that plan. He's got a, a direction he's headed to be this religiously good person. But Jesus meets the lost man Saul on the road with words that are going to change everything about his life. Like Jesus gave Saul a detour he didn't want. In fact, a detour that was unexpected. He didn't ask to go blind. He didn't want to go blind. And it was hard. Like you can imagine what Saul's thinking in this moment where he has this like amazing encounter with God. But, it, but what do you think he's thinking? Like, God, are you punishing me? I know I've done evil things. I know I probably deserve this. Will I ever see again? Man, maybe I deserve a lot worse than this. Like, I don't just deserve to lose my sight. I deserve to go blind forever. I, don't, I, I deserve to die probably. He probably spent days thinking about the names, the names of people he had threatened, the names of people he had put in prison, and the names of people like Stephen who he had killed. Realizing that the God that they stood for, the Jesus that they said they believed in was the same Jesus that met Saul. He realized that that God loved them and they loved him. Saul is undone by his encounter with God. He's undone. And we can find ourselves in the same boat being undone by God and maybe even thinking God hates us or is mad at us because of it. And God's response to Saul and God's response to us is something that oftentimes we don't expect. Let's keep reading in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, who's Ananias, a disciple, someone who believes in Jesus already, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. That's the house Saul was in. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, 
That's to say to, to believe in the gospel, that Jesus has died for your sins and raised to new life so that you can live with him, live with the Holy Spirit, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You see, the man that the religious world cheers, cheered, the Roman world praised, and the Christian world feared, was pursued by Jesus. Not with words of condemnation, but with a word of invitation. Say, come, follow me. It's not that Saul was punished by God or needed to punish himself for all the evil he had done. It's that the person of Jesus appeared to him with a word of grace saying, I want to be near you. That the rebels, those that are rebels in action and that those, are, those that are rebels in heart, like Saul, like me, like you, are met with words of grace that change everything about our lives. That's what Jesus does, that God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to restore the things that we have broken. He wants to redeem the ways that we've been hurt and the ways that we have hurt others. He wants you to know that he is for you and he is chasing you down on the road that you're on. No matter how lost you are, Jesus is chasing you down. And so maybe you come in here wondering if God can love a rebel like you. Like, maybe you're realizing tonight, maybe I am a rebel. Like, maybe I am more lost than I thought I was. Maybe I had my life together on the outside, but I am rotting on the inside. Can God love someone like me? And so all those thoughts are creating a a broken spirit in you. And what I want to tell you is, like, like the way Jesus restores sight to Saul, he wants to restore a right spirit in you tonight. He wants to take your spirit and make it whole. That it is a part of God's nature to find lost people. Like, Saul isn't the exception. That's what God does. God seeks out lost people to to redeem them and not only to find them, but to make them feel loved. He turns lost people into loved people, but then he goes a step further where he says, I don't just want you to be lost anymore. I don't just want you to settle for being loved. I want you to be turned into a laborer that goes and tells others of the love that I've shown to you. Like, God is out for his glory. What, what more glorious thing could God do than turn lost people into laborers that say, I was lost like you, but now I've received the grace of Jesus, and it's transformed everything about my life. Like, that's what God does. So this is what Saul goes on to do. Like, he was probably thinking, man, I was planning on going to Damascus. Damascus was step three on my 10-step plan to become the man I wanted to be, but now that my life has changed, what do I do now in Damascus? The place I was going to persecute the church, what do I do now? And it says that Saul still went to the synagogues, and the synagogues were probably thinking, man, this guy's going to come in, and it's going to be a military cry like, hey, come follow me as we find the people of the way, as we capture them and as we kill them. But instead, this is what he says. He comes in, not with a word persecuting the Christians, but with a word proclaiming that all that they believe is true. He says, Jesus is the Son of God. Think how unexpected 
that was. Like this is the guy that was supposed to kill the Christians, not be for them, not spread their message. He was supposed to give us military orders, and now he's inviting us to believe what they believe. They're probably like, man, is this the same guy? Is this the right Saul? Is this the one we had heard about? Man, it can't be him. There's no way God could use someone like that, but that didn't discourage Saul. That empowered him. Guys, Saul would spend the rest of the New Testament referred to as Paul. Let me give you a little bit of his resume really quickly. He planted 14 churches in the New Testament. He solved the biggest church conflict maybe in history. He trained the next generation of church planters. He called out friends of Jesus, like the people that actually walked with Jesus for three years. He's like, yo, dudes, that's actually wrong. I've received grace. I know that's not the grace that I've received, okay? He wrote 13 New Testament books. Like, the, you open your Bible to the New Testament. The majority of the words written on those pages are from this guy. The murderer, the outsider, the one who's lost. They're from this guy. He, guys, he becomes untouchable in the New Testament. Just, like, flip through the New Testament. Saul, now Paul, becomes this, like, amazing man of God that you cannot touch with anything because he knows that his righteousness has been received by grace. He's so confident in the finished work of Jesus. Like, people try to kill him, and he's like, to die is gain. And he's like, we'll let you live. To live is Christ. We'll persecute, like, we'll torture you. The sufferings of this present time aren't to be compared with the glory that is to come. It's in Romans. I promise you, we just went through it. God, like, you can't, do, you can't do anything to the guy. He so deeply believes in the grace of Jesus that he's received that he knows it's nothing that what he's done. He's the murderer that God ended up using. Like, in all reality, the reason that we have churches here today is because of the work that God did through this man. Right, We talked about at the beginning, God commissioned his disciples out to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, when Saul enters the storyline, the gospel has gotten to Samaria. And when we close the book of Acts, the gospel has gotten to the ends of the earth as they knew it at the time. God uses the murderer to bring the gospel to the ends of the known earth in a lifetime. And the heartbeat of his entire ministry was if God can use a sinner like me, if God can transform a sinner, murderer like me, he can meet you on your Damascus road and change everything about your life. He can meet you on the road that you're walking on, and he can change everything about your life despite the crap, despite the sin, despite the, play, the ways that you place your identity in other things. Because God majors in turning lost people into laborers. That's what God does. And so tonight there are two applications. There are two applications. The first one, if you come into this place feeling lost, would you see that there is no one outside the reach of God's grace? Like the primary missionary of this story is not Saul. And the primary missionary of your life is not Saul Company or anyone who works for it, but God who went from heaven to earth so that you might know him. 
God went on the ultimate missionary journey when the father looked at the son and he said to the son, go, go on their behalf because they need to believe, because they need to know, because they need atonement to be paid. Like, no one in this room is too lost for the grace of Jesus. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Bible is full of people that don't deserve God's grace and then God turning around and using them to do great things. It's misfits, it's murderers, actually more than one. It's adulterers, it's liars, it's drunks, it's people who sell their wives to other men. Check it out, it's in the book, I promise you. Uh, It's people who run from God. It's worriers, like people who worry. God turns all those people into laborers for the gospel because his grace has reached them. And the answer for those of you that walk in feeling like, man, maybe I'm too lost for God, the answer is not do more, do better, but turn to Jesus in faith, saying, I'm a rebel. Saying, I'm lost. Saying, my plans were opposed to you, but God, you, you have met me on my Damascus road and changed everything about my life, that you would be undone by God's grace. That God meets lost people on roads, and transforms their life. And the second application is for those of you who've met Jesus. Okay, some of you, like Saul, should go to where you were planning to go for selfish reasons, to go to the places that you had planned to go to further your own agenda, but instead go to that same place with the news of God's grace. Saul plans to go to Damascus to build up his resume, to add to what people already thought of him, to get praise and affirm, and instead he brought words of God's grace for rebels like him. And so for you, where you were originally planning to go to school, to build your resume, to build up all you think you wanted to do with your life, maybe God wants to send you to the same school that you enrolled in this fall or maybe a couple falls ago and he wants you to go to to that same place with words of God's grace for someone else. Where God met you with grace when you came to school here, maybe God wants to use you to introduce grace to someone else's story. Like, I don't know if you know this, but you are the perfect people to reach college students. I'm not. Like, I'm old. You can invite them here and I'll yell at them for a little while. But like, You guys are in classes with them. You live down the hall from them. You live with some of them. You are the perfect people to bring the message of God's grace to a world that is in desperate need of it. He wants to use you. If you've been lost and Jesus has found you, he wants to turn you into a laborer. And they'll believe it because if God's grace has transformed your life, it can transform their life. And you don't need to wait to do it. It says in the book, and and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He didn't wait until he knew more, believed more, had to do more. He just turned around and said, hey, God's grace is offered to you because it's offered to someone like me. Some of you, like Saul, should help plant churches in new places. So maybe that looks like going to Purdue University to help plant a church there reach college students there. Maybe it looks like going to the info meeting and just hearing what it it looks like to reach people on the other side of the world with the gospel. But I think it's easy 
to get discouraged by the life of Saul. Because let's be honest, no one in this room is going to write 13 books that are going to get added to the Bible magically. Uh, No one in this room is going to plant 14 churches, I would guess. No one in this room is going to impact history the way Saul did. But I actually want to close by going back to the story we looked at and seeing the unsung hero of the story. Yes, it's Jesus, but other than Jesus, let's go back to verse 10. This is what it says. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias, excuse me. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Other than Jesus, the hero of this story is not Saul, it's Ananias. A man many of you probably have never heard of. But without Ananias, there is no Saul. Saul doesn't become Paul. And Paul doesn't go and preach the gospel. You see, Ananias is actually a lot more like you and me. An average guy. Someone just trying to figure it out. Figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. He doesn't know if he has the right words. He isn't famous. And by and large, he is not remembered. But he's willing to listen to the call of God. Like all God says to him is his name. And he's like, here I am. He doesn't know what the job is. He doesn't know who the person he's had to reach is. He doesn't know that it's going to be the terrorist. Saul, he just says, here I am. I'm willing to go because you're the one sending me. And God gives him the most scary assignment. But he goes because Ananias believes there's no one outside the reach of God's grace. The one who came to die on the cross for the worst sinner the most lost, the most rebellious, to extend the grace to the one who is the furthest. Ananias believes in a grace like that. And so, yeah, maybe God wants you to plant a church. Maybe God wants you to sign up to go overseas. But by and large, the call isn't for you to be a Saul to the world. It's to be an Ananias to someone in your life. It's not to reach everyone. Is to reach someone, someone that you know, someone that you have access to, someone that trusts you, someone that's seen you before you knew Jesus and now to say, hey, I'm a different person, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me. So would you answer the call of God tonight? That you would raise your hand, you would say, here I am, Lord. Use me to be an Ananias to someone else. Use my story of grace to introduce someone else to Jesus. Let's pray. God, that's my cry. Here I am, God. Use me. Use my story of grace where I was running so fast from you. Man, I wanted to appear good on the outside, but I was broken on the inside. 
I wanted to fool other people into thinking I knew you when I had no desire to know you, and yet you interrupted my story, my Damascus road with a story of grace where I know you now. I believe in you now. My life has been transformed by you now. My heart is completely different because of you now. And so, God, here I am. God, here we are. Use Salt Company to bring light into dark places in this city. God, and would it increase the glory of your name because you use broken, messed up sinners like us. God, we trust you. We love you. We give our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.